All right, we are going to continue in our series, uh, Free at Last, from the book of Exodus. This morning we are in Exodus 20, and we are looking uh, this morning at verses 22 uh, through 26 of Exodus 20. Listen to the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make, an, if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for it for if you will your tool on it, uh, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps on my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray that as we now all of us sit under the authority of, the, of your word, that you would do that work in us by the power of the Spirit, that you would transform us and conform us into the image of your Son, in our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is, his, it is in His name that we pray, <coughs> amen. Uh, one writer said, for the most part, when we think of saints or heroes of the faith, we think of people who are altogether uh, different than we are. They seem to embody uh, a quality of communion with God that is impossible for the rest of us. But on closer inspection, we find that the most great saints are ordinary people who, in the midst of daily living, discover and interact with the reality of God's presence, the reality of God's presence. A vital, vital part of entering into covenant with His people that, that is formally God formally binding Himself to them in relationship is the promise of God to His people of His presence. God's covenant means God's presence. Indeed, God had long ago spoke these words to Israel's forefather Isaac when he was in the land of Canaan, uh, saying to Isaac, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you, sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your offspring I give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. And now that Israel was being led to that very land which God had promised to their forefathers, he reinforces that promise of his presence in the covenant with Moses and the people. In fact, uh, it's right and true to say that, that all of God's covenants come with this explicit and implicit promise of his presence. It's no accident that the book of the covenant, the rules, the regulations, the instructions, and, and the laws that, that follow on the heels of the Ten Commandments, it's no accident that they begin with permission to the people of Israel to erect altars throughout the land. And these altars would be places where God would meet with His people and where He would bless them. They would be places where the people could encounter the Lord and could fellowship with Him. 
We see this practice actually in the lives of the patriarchs and others who built altars in the places where God had met them and blessed them. Noah does it after the flood in Genesis 8 and 20 and following. Abraham does it in Genesis 12 and 7, and Jacob in Genesis 26, or Isaac in Genesis 26, and Jacob in Genesis 33 and 35. These altars were reminders of God's presence with His people, of His promise and His commitment to be with them and to be their God. And this promise of God's presence has found its fulfillment in those of us who trust in Christ. Jesus Himself promises in John 14, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That home has come to expression in the Spirit's presence in all of those who have faith in Jesus. The challenge, the challenge, of course, is to believe in that presence of God with us in Christ through the Spirit, to not fall into that doubt which can lead to despair that God has or will abandon us. It is this doubt that moves us toward that sinful and destructive practice that God forbids in verse 23, the sin of creating idols for ourselves idols for ourselves. He warns that His presence cannot be mediated to us through our idols of silver and gold. For God is not present through what our hands have made, but rather on the basis of His faithful promise alone. Amen, people of God. Our money doesn't make God more present. Our success or our successes don't make God more present. Our comforts don't make God more present. God is present because of His covenant promises, promises that are now secured for us in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, if you are in Christ, God has made His home with you. He is with you and He will be with you. He is with us, and He will be with us. Amen. So, what do we learn then from this text about that presence of God that is meant to encourage and strengthen us? Well, first of all, God's presence, we learn with His people, God's presence is pervasive. Pervasive. At the center of this passage is the making of altars that will be places where uh, God's people can encounter Him. And unlike the false gods of the nations, God's presence with His people is not limited to a particular place. The Israelites would would also come to know that, that His presence is also not limited to a particular culture either, as God proclaimed to their forefather Abraham to be the God not only of Israel but the God of the nations nations that Israel has been called out to bless. It's no accident then that God says in verse 24, in every place that I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. 
In other words, there, there is no place in the land in which I am sending you, nor in all the earth where you will not be able to commune with me. It is as if God were saying, everywhere my covenant people are, I am. Though God will at a later stage center his worship and presence in the land of Jerusalem, he is making clear to his people at this stage that he is everywhere. He is not, brothers and sisters, a local deity like the false gods of the nations, but he can and will and does meet with his people at any place and at any time he chooses and at any time that they need him. They can draw near to him at any place because he will be there. The Exodus itself had proved the pervasiveness of God's presence as he met his people in a foreign land and showed himself to be God there as he would show himself to be God in every place where he set his people because he is God over all the earth. What an incredible promise and an incredible source of hope to know that our God is present with us everywhere we are. And this presence that was communicated to His people of old is now communicated us to us in the new covenant through the presence of the Spirit. Jesus tells us, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. That presence of God that was mediated through these altars is now mediated through the Spirit. You don't have to ask if God is with you. For the promise and indwelling of the Spirit is God's guarantee that His presence is with you. Our doubts don't change that reality. Our fears don't change that reality. Our worries don't change that reality. Our sinful weakness doesn't change that reality. He is with us everywhere and always because of the Spirit of God. Amen, people of God. And so, in addition to being places where God's people could draw near to Him and He to them, these altars would be reminders that there is no place where God would not be present with His people as they journey toward the promised land. What they had learned in Egypt, they would learn in Canaan that God would be with them there too. He is present in the house of bondage, and He is present in the land of freedom. Did you hear me? He is present in the house of bondage, and He is present in the land of freedom. And the call is to remember for us is to remember this truth as well. God is not just in some places along our journey in this life, but every place. David proclaims this truth in Psalm 139, saying, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell to the, in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. God isn't just with us in the places where, he, where we feel His presence. He's, in, he's with us even in the places where we don't. 
Amen, people of God. So we can therefore draw near to God wherever we are, knowing that in Christ our God will draw near to us. God is God in Michigan, but He's also God in Mexico. He's God in America. He's also God in China. Thus, wherever He calls you, He will be with you in that place. Amen, people of God. God's presence is pervasive. It's also personal. These altars that the people are permitted to make are to be distinguished from the altar that will be erected for the tabernacle and the one that will be erected for the temple. These are not the formal altars where, uh, uh, where simply where corporate worship will be centered, but they are the personal altars also of individuals. The collective you of verses 22 to 23 becomes the singular you in verses 24 to 26. These altars then were permitted for each individual to erect or each family. And we saw in the passages I referenced at the start that the altars that were erected um, by Isaac and Jacob and Abraham were personal altars where God had met them and had blessed them. They had meaning for the individual whom God had met in a personal way. And here, God was reinforcing His commitment to meet not just with Israel as a whole, but with each Israelite to bless them. There's a reminder to us that the promise of God's presence, though it is not individualistic, it is personal. We'll say it again. Though God's presence is not individualistic, it is personal. The covenant reminds us that we are members of God's church together for through faith in Christ, God is our Father collectively, yet He is also the Father of each of us who has our faith in Christ. Thus, His blessings flow to all of us together and to each of us personally. In our personal journey of faith in this life, we have this promise that God will be with us and that He will bless us. What a promise! What a joy to know that God counts you and me worthy of personal relationship with Himself. What a confidence to know that I can call on God when I need Him and know that as verse 24 says, He will come to me and He will bless me. Amen, people of God. And of course, the promise isn't that He will give me whatever I want, but that He will bless me. He will give me what will ultimately lead toward my good. And this personal commitment of God to personally bless us finds its fullest expression in Christ with the writer of Hebrews reminding us that we don't have to look to money for our ultimate good, but should remember the promise of God in Christ. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or remember these words again from John chapter 14, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. All I want to impress upon you this morning, people of God, is that you have personal access to the Lord. The Lord cares about you personally and he wants to bless you. Listen to that again. The Lord cares about you personally, and He wants to bless you. So, my encouragement to you is to draw near to God, knowing that He will draw near to you and give you what makes for your good. So, in addition to being places where God's people would be reminded of His ability to be with them wherever they go, these altars would also be a reminder of God's personal presence with each one of His people. Even the altars that were built 
for the collective worship of God's people as such were altars where people could come and bring their peace offerings and their burnt offerings to God, a sign of their personal need for Him and His commitment to personally bless each one of them. And the call for us today is to trust, is to trust God's faithfulness to bless us personally as well as corporately as we draw near to our God. Jesus himself encourages us, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And the promise, of course, isn't that we will get everything we want, but we will receive what brings glory to God. And what brings glory to God is our good. And so we're invited to draw near to God personally to find His blessing in whatever area of life we need Him. God will draw near to us to bless us with what is to our good and through us to the good of others. So God's presence is pervasive. It is personal. And lastly, God's presence with His people is peace. It's peace. God's desire for peace between him and his people is signified, on the one hand, by the kinds of offerings that are to be made at these altars. These burnt offerings and peace offerings are there to make it possible for God's people to fellowship with him. They are offerings that are truly aimed at peace between God and his people. The worshiper, recognizing his own spiritual unfitness or unworthiness uh, to draw near to God, brings a physical sacrifice that, unlike himself, is whole, that is not sick or maimed or broken in any way. And he or she, therefore, recognizes their need for wholeness, their need for God to grant peace through His grace. In addition to offering, the, in addition to the offerings, the altars are to be simple. They're to be made out of earth and stones and, and, and that have not been shaped by hands of the one building the altar. The person is simply to find whatever stones are available to make the altar. Why? Why focus on simplicity? Because at its heart, idolatry is the worship of what our own hands have fashioned. Idolatry is the worship of what our own hands have fashioned. It is in part self-worship, the, the, the revering of what we have brought into existence through our own efforts. And we cannot be at peace with God when we are worshiping what our own hands have made versus the God who made us in everything. If we are to be at peace, then we can't have substitutes for God in our lives. We can't worship that which is not God and think we can have peace with the Lord. But finally, the altar is to have no steps so that there might be no chance for the person ascending the altar to expose himself at the place where God is making his presence known. And this might seem like a strange prohibition until we understand that part of idol worship involved nudity and sexual immorality. The false God's presence in one way or another required the use or exposure of one's body in ways that God did not intend for human beings created in His image and after His likeness. And the Israelites were not to mistake God as being like the false gods of the nations endorsing or requiring the misuse of the body which God created in beauty and glory. All of these regulations regarding the making of these altars were to signal God's desire for fellowship with His people. 
for peace between him and his covenant community. And this peace, which once mediated, was once mediated through various sacrifices and regulations, now has its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. While these altars could function as, fa- as places to meet their God, these altars had no power to take away sin, the sin that stood between God and His people. Neither did the sacrifices or the faithfulness to the instructions for building and using these altars. No, the justification of God's people still rested in His grace alone and in their faith to believe God and do what He said. But God permitted these altars because He knew all along that the day was coming where He would raise up someone who could do something about the sin that stood between God and His people, one who could bring about once and for all peace between God and His people, one who could break the power of canceled sin and set the prisoner free, one whose blood could make the foulest clean, one whose blood could avail for me. This one sends every worshiper of God away rejoicing. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. I just wondered this morning if there's anybody who is thankful that now in Christ there is peace between you and God. Now because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on your behalf, you can come to the throne of God boldly in your time of need and know that you will find grace and mercy to help you, not because of what your hands have done, not because of what you have accomplished, but because of what Jesus Christ did on your behalf. Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood. Amen, people of God. So, in addition to reminding Israel of the pervasiveness of His presence, and his personal commitment to be with them, these altars were also a reminder of God's commitment to peace between him and his people. And the call for you this morning as you draw near to God is to remember that peace has been secured for you and for all who have their faith in Jesus. If you are a Christian, the blood of Jesus was shed to bring peace between you and God. There is therefore now no condemnation. (laughs) For you, but only peace. So come, come and find help in your time of need. Come and find mercy in times of failure. Come and find forgiveness for occasions of sin. Come and find love and acceptance in places where you feel rejected and abandoned. Come and find hope and joy instead of despair. Come and find blessing and peace. Come and find what the songwriter said is true. He comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. For in Jesus, God has proclaimed peace and joy instead of conflict and despair, hope and life instead of hopelessness and death.
Amen, people of God. As we journey toward the ultimate promised land of the new heavens and the new earth, what does the Lord want us to know about His presence that will strengthen us and encourage us? He wants us to know His presence is everywhere and that He will be with us everywhere. He wants us to know that His presence is personal. He will come to us and bless us in our time of need. And He wants us to know that His presence is peace, that there is peace between us and God because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. Amen, people of God. Let's celebrate that today. Let's give praise to God for His great presence, which is with us everywhere, all the time, and forever. Father, we pray now, come to You thanking You for Your presence, thanking You for Your presence with us, Lord, each and every day. We give You thanks for Jesus our Lord and our Savior, who said to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord who says to us, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Lord, I pray that your people would believe that, that their hope would be in that, in, in the power of your presence with them. I pray that they would not believe the lies of the evil one, that they would not believe the lies of their own sin nature, that they would not believe the lies of the world around them, that tell them that you are absent, that you have abandoned them, but they would believe what your word says, that you are God and you do not lie, and you are with us every day of our lives and everywhere we go. Help us to believe that promise, Lord, in Jesus' name.